Well, happy Father's Day. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. We're going to take again a break from James uh, as we jump into this. And I want, to, uh, I want you to think about this. As a matter of fact, the sermon title is this, uh, this making of a man or the making of a man. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that uh, right now in our society, in our culture, that manhood is under attack. It's uh, very evident in multiple situations and circumstances, in multiple political ideologies and, and everything else, that manhood is under attack. And what I would classify that is, at times, or to let you understand, that there are things in the world that I believe that the world identifies as manly, that God says are not manly, that they are not biblical, they are not truthful or anything else like that. And so I want to jump into this idea of what it means to be or to make a man. What is the making of a man? So 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and I want you to think of it this way. Last words matter. As a matter of fact, from my own standpoint, some of the sweetest words I heard were some of the last words my dad spoke. Matter of fact, for those of you who don't know that my dad was pretty much in a drug-induced uh, coma to a certain extent, his last about 24 to 30 hours. But I can remember at one point with my dad, who was still struggling physically to even uh, just get up and get out of bed, I remember sitting on, him, uh, sitting on his bed next to him, um, and, and I don't know who took this picture, I have it saved somewhere, but I have... My dad's sitting next to me, and I'm leaning my head in, and he's leaning his head into me. And I said, Dad, I'm proud of you, and I love you. And his words were, I'm proud of you, and I love you. And that's the last words I heard my dad say. All right, because at that point on, he was in a drug-induced coma because of the cancer and what it was doing to, to ravish his body. But I want you to think about this. First Kings chapter 2 starting in verse one, and listen to the charge that David gives to his son. He says in verse one, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. And he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong, show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses. And then listen to what he says. So that you may what? So that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me if your descendants watch how they live, if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel." Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you speak to us through your word, that God, in this brief moment where we dig in and we look at what it means to be a man, what it takes to make a man, and how we as men and really we as families and individual believers all contribute to being a part of raising godly men, men of influence, men of obedience, men of responsibility, men who will fulfill the promise that you have made before us. God, may we be men who rise up to the occasion. May we stand on the truth. May we not cater or cower to the worldly ideas and the worldly wisdom that is surrounding us. But God, may we run to you headlong to understand your truth. God, would your spirit guide us in all ways and give us the wisdom to make the wise decisions in every circumstance. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
You know, I, I said this overall, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that fathers have a lasting impact on the lives, not only of their sons and daughters, but they have a lasting impact on the lives of the individuals that all of us have an influence over. And I believe wholeheartedly that the final words of a father to a son or to a child are profoundly significant. As a matter of fact, maybe your dad has passed on and you could say, I remember my dad's final words, or maybe your dad's still here and you have no clue what's gonna happen. But what I wanna encourage you with today is this whole idea of what it means to be a man or making a man, because I believe wholeheartedly that in the midst of what happened in David's life, if you really wanted to look at a manly man, you would really look at David and you'd go, David is just kind of one of those guys that was the man of all men. I mean, like, he took on wild animals with bare hands. Like, he, he led armies to battle. He's the guy that if we were to stand up, we would bring probably some military soldier who's highly decorated out in front and say, this guy led hundreds of men and thousands of men into battle and was successful. And we would parade this person around and look. And David, on his deathbed, comes to this point and he says, listen, here's the deal. If you wanna be a man, if you want to be a godly man, if you want to follow God in everything, then here's what I'm challenging you to do. And so today, I know we live in a world where masculinity is under attack. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say it this way. You could produce a child, but that doesn't make you a father. You could be married, but that does not make you a mate. And you could be a male, but that doesn't make you a man. We have a lot of people, we have a lot of quote-unquote men in American society who honestly are a bunch of sissified loony bins. And I'm just going to point it out that way. We got men who would call, rather call AAA than change a tire on their own car. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny, <laughs> but I got an amen out of it, all right? We got a lot of things. That there are things that just men have kind of given over. They have, they have kind of usurped certain things to people. As a matter of fact, I would even say it this way, and this comes from somebody who loves baseball and loves coaching. I know father after father after father who have rather just said, you know what, I'd rather turn over the specialty of going and playing catch with my son to somebody who could do it rather than just going out and playing catch with my son. I'd rather have somebody teach my son how to play a sport and to focus on these things than to go out and do it themselves. I believe wholeheartedly that in today's world, we need godly men. We need men who make no mistake about this text is applicable to every one of us, every follower, whether mother or father, son or daughter. But we have to understand that we need men and we need women who will intentionally be obedient to what God has called us to be. I hope you hear this out. So while this is David's charge to Solomon, his son, mothers, this does not let you off the hook to say, hey, there's, this doesn't apply to me. And daughters or, or women, ladies, children, girls, this does not let you off the hook to say, well, this is only to men or this is only to the boys that are gonna become men. I believe wholeheartedly that today's text applies to all of us, that we can begin to understand what it means to be a person who intentionally pursues God. So here's the big statement. Here's what I want you to remember. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. A kingdom man intentionally aligns his life, choices, thoughts, and actions under the lordship of Jesus. Now, for those of you who aren't men or boys, you can put it this way. A kingly or a kingdom woman 
or a kingdom girl intentionally aligns her life, choices, thoughts, and actions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I hope you hear this out because it's not just, when, when we talk about life, we say we're gonna bring our life under the, uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ, but I want my choices. Every choice that I make falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every thought that I think that that brings that thought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that every action that I do, that that action is brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe wholeheartedly this, that if the church truly lived that out, then a lot of the things that we would deal with in most of society right now would not be as big a deal. But the problem is at times the church has forgotten and the church has said, yeah, I'll be an intentionally kingdom focused man on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, don't ask me to change. So a kingdom man intentionally aligns his life choices, thoughts, and actions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So here's My question, what makes a godly man? What is it that makes a godly man? Again, remember, I'm going back. The the last words matter. And of all the people that I could think about, David is on his deathbed. And David gives this charge to Solomon. So as you follow along, I've got four things I just want you to see today that I believe will help us understand what it means to be a godly man. And I would even say this, what it even means to be a godly man woman, all right? Number one is this, a godly man or woman knows his or her life is momentary. A godly man or woman knows his or her life is momentary. Listen to what he says. It says, when the time of David or when the time drew near for David to die. In other words, David knows that his life is about to end. David is on his deathbed. David is coming to an end. And what we all have to begin to understand is, regardless of where you're at, that time goes faster than you ever thought it would. At least that's what I'm beginning to even wake up and realize more and more and more. Um, Matter of fact, my wife shared a video of the kids right after we moved here. It would have been the first Father's Day I think, no, maybe probably the second Father's Day after we moved here, a video of the kids telling me what they loved about me that she had done and then she posted on Facebook. She sent it to me again this morning to remind me of it. And I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, Ethan was in second grade. Peyton was just over two. Brooklyn was five, not even five yet. And I'm sitting here watching this video. I'm like, what the heck? Where did time go? How does it disappear so quickly? And what I want you to begin to understand, and we all know this, and oftentimes I think that we just kind of begin to take things for granted, but we must have an understanding of the limited time we have. As a matter of fact, we know that tomorrow is not promised to you. We know that things happen, and as a result of these things happening, that we should live each day like it's our last. And so David has had a life of blessing and encouragement. David has had a life of power and promise, of prestige, of rising up to a kingship level, of defeating enemies. You know, like I said, when I, when I look at God's man, a manly man, when you look at scripture, you're kind of like, well, that was kind of David. Like David did things that every man's like, oh, I wish I could do that. Like in the words of Tim Allen, he's just a manly man. See, here's what I want to begin to understand is a godly man knows that his life is momentary. In other words, that you make the most of every opportunity the Lord has given you. 
that I take advantage of everything that God blesses me with, that with every child that I raise, I have an opportunity to be the person who impacts and influences them in a positive direction. You know, one of the biggest struggles that I see as, a, as when I was a youth pastor and I see as a pastor is this, that we're raising our kids to know about Jesus, but we're not raising our kids to love Jesus. In other words, we're gonna go back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that we have the knowledge, but we don't live the wisdom. In other words, we have a head knowledge about who God is and who Jesus is, but we don't have the wise decisions. We haven't made Jesus the Lord of their heart or, or led them to make Jesus the Lord of their heart, showed them what it means to follow Jesus day in and day out. When you look at the chaos of what's going on, do you walk around in fear? Do you talk to your kids in a fearful way? Or do you talk about, hey, listen, this, this is just a warning. This is just a sign of what's to come. All throughout scripture, Jesus says it over and over. God says it over and over again. Do not be afraid. 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 But yet most of the people, and I expect it from lost people. I expect it from people who don't know Jesus. But for people who do know Jesus to walk around in fear and in worry and in trepidation should speak volumes to what becomes the priority or primary thing on your heart. So David literally is on his deathbed and he knows, a godly man knows that his life is momentary. Fathers, here's what I wanna encourage you with this and I would even say this to everybody. David understood his life was coming to an end. David understood what was about to happen and as a result, he challenges his son. And I want you to think about this. I put down there on the bottom of the screen, you'll see it, it says love plus time equals influential relationships. But I want to ask you this question because here's one of the struggles that most fathers have. We think about this idea and we say, hey, look what I do. I work hard, I provide over and over and over again. Look at what all I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. But we sacrifice time. And our idea is that we do to show them we love them, but we sacrifice time because we're busy doing. And as a result of that, Oftentimes, the intentional, influential relationship isn't as strong because we've showed them how to do, but we haven't showed them we care. We do care because in a man's heart, what is our first primary thing? I know, I speak from a person of experience. My first way to provide and show that, or the first way to show that I love, that I care for my family is to what? To provide, that I work and I work hard. And I, I sacrifice to the point and say, look, and this is what I'm doing for you. But at the same time, if you have the love of your work, but you don't put in the love of, that you have for your family and you do it by showing them through work, but you don't give them the time that they need, you miss out on a key factor in the influential relationship. Over and over again as a youth pastor, I remember multiple kids saying this, I don't care how much money I, I make, I just wanna be with my kids because my dad never had time for us. And I'm not joking, as a youth pastor, I would sit down and counsel these teenagers. They were like, I don't care if I live in a one bedroom house with five brothers and sisters. I don't care. I just wish my dad gave us time. That's not, I don't wanna make it sound like it was astronomical, but there was a good portion of the kids, especially the kids that I would say were messed up, that just longed for a significant amount of time 
Because I'd say things like this. Do you believe your dad loves you? Oh yeah, I know he loves me. He just doesn't spend time with me. And so here's what I wanna challenge you with in this is to think about this. Fathers, do you reserve time with your kids? In other words, just as dating your wife builds the relational stronghold in your marriage, the relational connection and influence that you have with your kids is not only a result of your love through provision, but it's also a result of your time through doing things together. So remember, a godly man knows his life is momentary and as a result, make the most of every opportunity. Number two, what makes a godly man? I believe a godly man challenges his children and gives them responsibility. Challenges his children and gives his children responsibility. Listen, I have to cautiously say this because we live in a world where helicopter parenting and overprotection runs rampant. We live in a world where everybody gets a trophy. We live in a world that says, Life is fair when life isn't fair. We live in a world that says, hey, just if you don't like it, complain louder. And if you complain louder, you'll get the most mention on the news. I'll be honest with you, that's not responsibility. We live in an irresponsible world, whereas godly men challenge their children and give them responsibility. Listen again what David says. He says, he gave them a charge to Solomon, his son. This charge is the the challenge that every father would give to his son, but I think it's something that we give to all of our kids, that we challenge them to grow, to follow God, to be responsible. See, responsibility isn't a curse, but rather it's a blessing. As a matter of fact, Booker T. Washington says this, few things help an individual more than to place responsibility upon him and to let him know that you trust him. Responsibility comes because the father challenges them by putting that responsibility on them. So they gain more responsibility by following through with what they've been given or told to do. But listen to what David challenges Solomon to do. He says, I am about to go the way of all the earth. As a matter of fact, if you want to look up more about that, you kind of look at Romans chapter 8. You can look at a, a number of different verses there. But David knows that his body is going to return to the earth that his soul is going to go with God, all right? But listen to what he says. I am about to go to the way of all the earth. And he says this, so be what? Be strong. Now, listen, I, I, know, I know in our world today, we got this idea that strength comes by not showing any emotion. That strength comes by not acknowledging your weaknesses and your flaws, But what David is trying to get here is to this, that we acknowledge that to be strong, that our strength comes from the Lord, not from ourselves. That means when I hit a brick wall, when I run into those tough circumstances and situations, that who do I call out to? Listen, one of the things that I love about American culture is this whole idea of pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get going. But do you want to know also one of the biggest things that's one of the biggest flaws in American culture? Pick yourself up by the bootstraps and just get going. You want to know why? Because it says, hey, I don't have to rely upon God. I'll just get up and do it. What David is trying to get to his son is to know this, that a godly man, a follower of Jesus, a follower of God, realizes that our strength does not come from ourselves. It doesn't come from digging down deep within and overcoming your weaknesses, but rather our strength comes from the Lord. 
And so when he's challenging Solomon to be strong, he's not challenging Solomon to say, oh, quit being a weenie. Quit whining so much. But his challenge to Solomon is this, you have to be strong in the Lord. Why? Because being strong in the Lord means that when all hell breaks loose in our culture and in our world, that I don't have to fear, I don't have to regret, I don't have to neglect because I know that the Lord is with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. That regardless of what they do to me and my body, they cannot destroy my soul, they cannot destroy my spirit. So I have to be strong in the Lord. Why? Because our strength and resolve must be built on an understanding of God's calling and God's word in our life. Our strength and our resolve must be built upon the understanding of God's calling and God's word in my life. That's where I get our strength. That's where I get my strength. As a matter of fact, I would even say it this way, that when people want to attack other individuals based upon how they act or live and say that they are weak, and we begin to listen to those thoughts, oh, I must be weak, and we begin to take those ideologies in from worldly wisdom rather than godly wisdom, then we're not strong. And what David is trying to communicate is this, our strength and resolve must be built upon this. And here's the reason why. As a believer or follower of God, people will always attack you. It's a promise. Persecution will come. If they did it to Jesus, they're gonna do it to who? You. The Bible's very clear on that. And so our strength and resolve must not be built on outward circumstances, but our strength and resolve must be built upon the calling God places on my life and the purpose he has planted deep within my soul. A godly man challenges his children and gives them responsibility so that they can be obedient to what God has called them to do. Listen, to, listen as we jump into even verse two a little bit farther. He says, so be strong. Now listen to what he says. And show yourself a man. I believe wholeheartedly this, that we have lowered the bar on manhood. We have made it something completely opposite of what it means to be a godly man. Ephesians 6.10 says this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, be self-controlled and alert. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he may devour. See, in today's world or today's economy, what they would say is, you want to be a real man? You don't have to have self-control. Go out and look at whatever pornography you want to look at. Go out and do whatever you want. A real man doesn't follow anybody. They don't listen to any sort of authority. A real man doesn't have to follow any rules or regulations. A real man can do whatever the heck he wants. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they're not a real man. What's God say? No, that's not at all what goes on. A godly man, a godly man who is strong to be strong, a godly man who, who, is, who is showing himself to be a man is self-controlled and alert. Self-controlled, in other words, I have to learn to control the desires within me. Alert, why am I alert? Because the enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for those that he can devour. Listen to me, as a father, as a man, mothers, all of us need to be alert because I want you to understand this, that the enemy, the devil, he's on the prowl. And self-control and alert is something that we have to be aware of. We have to know, I am controlled inwardly 
by the Spirit of God rather than outwardly by the evil intention desires that come from sin. I am controlled by the Spirit of God inwardly rather than being controlled outwardly by the the, the pullings and the tuggings of the sin that wages war within me. Why? Because the devil is prowling around and looking for those he can devour. So listen, showing yourself a man, God doesn't lower the bar, but rather raises the responsibility, responsibility level on men. So we must be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Verses three through five say this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up, sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive, listen, this self-control idea, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought Every thought, remember the, the key statement, a kingdom man intentionally aligns his life, choices, thoughts, and actions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So I gotta be strong and I have to show myself a man. How do I do that? I have to learn self-control. I have to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ first and foremost. There are thoughts running rampant right now in our society that are not obedient to Jesus whatsoever. That are contrary to biblical truth that are contrary to godly teaching. And so as a result, we have to, as men, as women, as people of faith, we have to challenge our children and give them responsibility. What is the responsibility? To learn to be strong. And not just to be strong, but to show themselves as men and women of God. First and foremost. Number three. If a kingdom man intentionally aligns his life, choices, thoughts, and actions under the lordship of Jesus Christ... What makes a godly man? I believe number three is this. A godly man obeys what God requires of us, of men. Listen to what he says, starting in verse three. He says, so be strong and show yourself a man. And now he says, and observe what the Lord your God, what? Requires. See, oftentimes we enter this relationship with Jesus and we'll put our faith and trust in him. We'll confess obedience. We'll say, Jesus, you're the only way. I put my, I put my trust in you. I believe that you're the only way to reach heaven. I believe you're the one who died on the cross for my sins. We'll be baptized for him. But then when it comes to the requirements, if you love me, you will obey me. John 13, John 14, sorry, 43. If you love me, you will obey me. You will obey my commands. Listen to what he says. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Now listen to what he says. This is what he requires. Walk in his ways. Keep his decrees, his commands, his laws, and the requirements as written in the law of Moses. Here's what I believe is the wholehearted number one thing that we have to focus on. A godly father... A godly man within the church, a godly follower, a godly woman will always obey God. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin, because to even tell you that you would no longer sin would be a blatant disregard for Scripture and what we see in 1 John, that he who claims to be without sin is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But listen to what he says. 
Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways. In other words, walk in obedience to God through life. See, the written word is our rule. It's our sole authority for faith and practice. And we are responsible before God to govern ourselves by God's word. I believe one of the biggest flaws in the church today is this, that we look at it and we go, well, that's great. And I kind of addressed it last week with wisdom. That's great for 2,000 years ago, but it's kind of antiquated. So I think God just kind of got to get with the times. No, a godly man or a godly woman doesn't go, God, you got to get with the times. A godly man or a godly woman says, God, this is, this is for me. This is for my benefit. This is the best thing for my family, for my church, for my community, for my country, for the world. That when we put those primary factors into place, that we live it out, then as a result, we are successful. See, I'm amazed at how many people want to walk through life with little or no obedience to God, but they still want God to bless them in every other circumstance or situation. God, my marriage is falling apart, and I don't know why you would ever do this to me. Wait a second. You're the one who rushed into marriage and didn't marry a believer. A blatant disregard for God's requirements or laws. Do not be unequally yoked. Well, God, I don't understand why you lead me down this path of destruction in crazy circumstances because I followed you on Sundays, but guess what? The rest of the week, I was so given over to the temptations of drugs and alcohol that I made a stupid decision and now the consequences are mounting up. My family's broken up. I can't keep a job. Do you see the destructive thoughts that begin to creep in? We want to blame God for things, but at the same time, we don't want to obey God for everything. God, bless me in the small things, but don't bless me in the big things. Or bless me in the big things, but you're not willing to be obedient in the small things. There's a huge problem here in our lives when we deal with that. So what makes a godly man? According to scripture, according to David, according to Solomon, if you go and read Proverbs and things like that, you're going to find out that a godly man obeys what God requires of him. Now listen, we know, remember anything about David? David, it says, was a man after God's own heart. But what did David do at some point in time? It's the one that everybody remembers, right? He committed adultery. Not only did he commit adultery, he basically places his best man in his military on the front lines so he can try and cover it up, get him killed, and then cover up his own sin. So it leads to this murder, basically, of Uriah. So the idea is not that you're perfect or perfected as a result of Jesus, but the idea is that you are blood-bought, you are redeemed, you are washed, you are purchased and as a result, you strive for obedience. Why do I strive for obedience? Because I know that my obedience shows my love for Jesus back. It's a reciprocating love. Jesus loved you so much that he came and he died for you. Died on the cross, bearing the weight of your sins and the burden of your sins and the consequences of your sins. But I show my love back to him by being obedient to what he's called me to do. So a godly man obeys what God requires. See, obedience is how we show our love for God. Matter of fact, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And he, jump into verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Do you hear that reciprocation going back? If you love God, then you'll obey him. If you do not love, O God, 
you won't obey him. This is one of the biggest flaws in most people's Christian theology when they claim to be a Christian, but they won't follow Jesus' teachings. So a godly man obeys what God requires of him. And number four, what makes a godly man? A godly man recognizes the rewards of obedience. Here's the beautiful promise that Jesus makes or that God makes to David, but then as a result, David is passing on to Solomon. Follow along in verse three to the end of verse four. He says, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses. Now listen to what he says. So that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. And listen to what he says now. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me If your descendants watch how they live, if they walk faithfully before me with all of their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Listen to what I want you to begin to understand. Worldly success is not promised to any man, any individual. A person of righteousness, though, however, will be or will have success because the Lord will bless him. Listen to what ends up happening. And I'm not promising you that you're gonna have a person on the throne. That's not the point of what David is trying to communicate here to Solomon, all right? Or what God's trying to communicate to us. What I do want you to understand is this, that when you walk in obedience to God, when you recognize the rewards of obedience, then you're gonna recognize that you as an individual, as you raise your children to love and follow Jesus, you as a father and you as a mother, acknowledging the rewards of obedience will realize this, that as you follow obediently God's commands and God's ways in everything, that you will be a person of influence. Influence in your own family, influence in your church, influence in your community, influence in your country, and influence in the kingdom. All of those things play out. That's a reward of obedience. When we follow God obediently, then we understand that God's blessings depend on the obedience of God's people. I think that's one of the things we oftentimes forget. God's blessings are dependent upon the obedience of God's people. Anywhere in scripture that you remember that God blessed somebody who is disobedient? No, because it's not there. Obedience leads to the rewards that God promised. And so here's what David is saying, his last words, the last things he's got to say, be strong, be a man, follow obediently what God has called you to do. And then he says, listen to this, as you do that, you will be prosperous wherever you go. Now, most everybody wants to go automatically go, oh, that means I'm gonna be rich. No, it's not all. It means you're gonna be successful wherever you go. Maybe a person of influence, you will prosper wherever you go. All right, but also listen again to what he says. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me. God's promises are always built upon obedience of God's people. God says, I'll lead you into the promised land where there's a land flowing with milk and honey, right? What happens when the people disobey? They didn't go in the promised land, did they? 
God's like, fine, you're going to walk in disobedience? I'm going to let you go and do whatever you want to. And you're going to go and do whatever you want to. And as you go and do whatever you want, you're going to wander. And then you're going to begin to complain. And as you begin to complain, you're going to cry out and go, God, where were you with that promise? And God's going to say, I told you to be obedient, but you chose not to be obedient. You chose to be disobedient. And as a result of your disobedience, you're reaping the consequences of what you asked for. You asked for this, that's what you got. And that's oftentimes what happens. But God wants us to know, listen, that when you walk in obedience, then God recognizes the obedience and he rewards those who have been obedient. Notice the steps of blessing. God's promised this to David if his descendants walk faithfully with the Lord. In other words, God knows. Hey, David and Solomon, We want you to know that when you walk in obedience, that God's hand will always be upon you. That you will always have somebody on the throne in Israel. But guess what? When you walk in disobedience, the hand of blessing or the hand of God's blessing is now removed. Listen, fathers, one of the things I want to encourage us with this is that God wants to bless you. God's hand of blessing is upon you when you walk in obedience. So it is of utmost importance that you walk in obedience, that you teach your children, that you lead your family to walk in the obedience that God has called all of us to. Obedience will ensure God's ongoing fulfillment of the promise God made to David's line. And so if your descendants walk faithfully with all their heart and with all their soul, then they experience God's blessing. So listen, obedience I believe wholeheartedly then also leads to positions of influence. If we as men ever fully comprehended all that God has not only intended for us, but has also provided for us, we would not only improve our own lives, but we would improve the lives of our families. We would also influence and impact our churches. We would impact and influence our communities and as a result, the entire world. I believe that the most important thing a dad can give his children is not his provision through hard work. It's not his wise counsel, but rather his personal holiness, which comes in his devotion to God. Every father here today, I believe, and every mother, I would even say, is this, that the most important thing you could ever pass down to your children is not your hard work, nor your wise counsel, but rather your personal holiness, which comes in your devotion to God. Why? Because hard work and wise counsel are an outflow of the devotion and wisdom that God lays upon your heart through the power of his spirit. Listen, I come to you as one who admits that oftentimes my desire is hard work and wise counsel. Matter of fact, I think of how many times I'm like, hey, come here. We're going to have a discussion. We're going to have a talk, right? We're going to talk about hard work, and we're going to talk about making wise decisions. And while those are all valuable, important, what my kids need to see more in me is my personal holiness, which comes from my devotion to God. And I just want to challenge you with that. David found his wisdom, 
his strength and blessing in obeying God's word, and he wanted his son to find those things as well, the wisdom and the strength and the blessing in obeying God in everything you do. You and I and all of us here can be strong men and women of God only by ordering our life by God's commands, only by walking in obedience to him. And so here's just again what I wanna challenge you with, the last thing to keep in mind as we focus and go back to the main point, a kingdom man or woman intentionally aligns his or her life, choices, thoughts, and actions under the lordship of Jesus. Do you align your life under the lordship of Jesus in everything you do? If you do, then I believe wholeheartedly that this charge that David gave to Solomon is the same charge that you can give your children and your families to the point of your death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the challenge that comes as a result of it. And Lord, maybe today there are some who have struggled with with what it means to be a father, the father figure, one who's gonna lead out and lead well. God, I pray for an uprising of men who will stand up, who will stand firm, who will not shirk back from or or cower from the responsibilities you've placed upon us, but that would rise up to the occasion, that they would not rest on their own strength, but they would rest on your strength. That when, when we see this challenge from David to be strong and to be a man, it doesn't mean to try and do everything on our own, but to that our strength comes through the Lord and in the Lord and that we can rise up and be the men of God, men that you've called us to be. So Lord, may we lead and lead well. May we lead through our personal holiness and devotion that that's our primary focus and our main care and concern. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.